Imagine not knowing what your income would be each week. Financial planning would be a nightmare. Almost 90% of Vision's income is free will donations. When supporters commit to monthly giving, it provides greater certainty when budgeting for regular expenses and weighing up new opportunities that arise. Knowing we can rely on regular gifts each month takes some of the guesswork out of operating a faith ministry. Monthly givers who share our mission are called Visionary Extra Mile Partners. And right now, you're invited to join this growing group of faithful supporters. The amount of your tax-deductible monthly gift is completely up to you. What is most important is knowing that you are standing with us to reach Australia for the gospel. Click the banner at vision.org.au or in the Vision app to find out more about becoming a Visionary Extra Mile Partner. It only takes a few minutes, but will have an eternal impact. Vision. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. You know, as retailers continue to suffer in states right around Australia, there is an even bigger picture of suffering to acknowledge today. The doors to your favourite non-essential clothing stores have been closed. So in not making those those retail sales in stores, uh, they've had to cancel, they've had to suspend orders, and they've laid off staff here in Australia. And our store closures have a flow-on effect uh, along the supply chain. Production facilities around the world are being forced to shut down leaving thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of workers in dire situations. Lots of our clothing comes from factories in developing nations. In a nation like Bangladesh, where most workers are paid only poverty-level wages, more than a million workers have already been let go, and many without their last month's pay, and with little chance of compensation or a social safety net. So a focus today on the hidden effects of coronavirus. They're hidden to us. They're certainly not hidden uh, to those nations in the developing world. And it comes as Baptist World Aid has just released what they call COVID fashion commitments. Baptist World Aid is calling on fashion brands to protect vulnerable workers. What a challenge that is. Well, what a privilege it is to be able to welcome John Hickey, who is the CEO at Baptist World Aid, and Peter Keegan, who is Director of Advocacy at Baptist World Aid, joining us over this next hour to talk through some issues. First of all, before we talk to these gentlemen, let me just say there is a Facebook question that you can respond to today. Uh, facebook.com forward slash vision radio you might like to check that out i think there'll be a poll there set up it's asking a question are we and the shops that sell clothes to us responsible for the rights and safety of the workers that make them have a think through that issue and you might like to cast your vote and take the opportunity to put your own comment there And perhaps it's the first time you've ever heard of this. Uh, Put down that comment. Uh, But make a comment there and uh, let's see if we can get a conversation around this particular issue. Let me introduce these two gentlemen to our conversation today. First of all, the CEO of Baptist World Aid, John Hickey. Welcome along. Thanks so much, Neil. And Peter Keegan, the Director of Advocacy. Welcome to you. 
Great to be with you, Neil. Uh, Peter Keegan, uh, first of all, let's just uh, start with you. Uh, Vulnerable workers in the developing world. I imagine that for some of our listeners today, they hadn't given this a thought, but their vulnerability has all of a sudden come to the fore. Uh, People losing their jobs and their safety and their working conditions all very much up in the air. What are your insights here about vulnerable workers? Yeah, thanks, Neil. I think one of the things we're becoming really aware of as, as we see the effects of coronavirus globally is, is the reality that we're all impacted, but we're not all equally prepared to withstand the impacts of coronavirus. So for us as Baptist World Aid, we're responding to that in a number of different ways, and we'll talk about some other areas later, but particularly in this area of the fashion industry. Over the Asia-Pacific region, there's about 40 million people who are employed in the garment industry. So these are people who are making the clothes that you and I buy when we walk into the shops or at the moment when we, we jump online to our favourite websites and, and buy things online. The reality of the way the fashion industry works these days is that the companies that you're buying from are themselves very rarely the ones that are actually manufacturing the clothes. They're working with a long supply chain of of factories in countries like Bangladesh or India or China, uh, where other companies, other local suppliers are manufacturing the clothes that we wear. And they themselves are going deeper and deeper into supply chains where they might be buying the fabric from others and the raw materials are coming from somewhere else. So there's a, there's a complex supply chain going on to, to bring us the simple shirt or pants or other pieces of clothing that we take for granted that we buy here in Australia. Um, but the challenge with that, as you were saying in the introduction, is that so many of those workers are hidden to us. Uh, they're, they're a long way away from where we are. They're a long way away from the things that we're seeing on a, on a daily basis. And so the reality of the lives that they experience and the conditions that they're working under are too often hidden. So we don't see the people who are not paid fair wages. We don't see the the instances of child labour or forced labour. We don't see these other issues easily because they're a long way away from us. Uh, And it's why it's so crucial that we find ways to to bring visibility to the issues that are faced by vulnerable workers in general, uh, but particularly at the moment in in the context of coronavirus. John Hickey, as the CEO of Baptist World Aid, uh, you've had a real commitment around fashion for a long, long time now. And uh, perhaps we're now just realising how significant this is, uh, even as Peter says, uh, 40 million people in the fashion industry making the clothes that we wear and that the rest of the world is wearing. Uh, But you've had this intense interest now over many, many years in coming out with an annual fashion report. Uh, Tell us about the sort of commitment that you've had at Baptist World Aid around these issues of workers in the developing world. Yes, now, well, first thing I should say, if you saw how I was dressed uh, working in isolation from home now, you would question my commitment to fashion, <laughs> but uh, that aside, yeah. um, we're in, in, to, to, to be serious about this, um, yes, uh, in 2013, we launched, launched our first uh, electro- uh, sorry, ethical fashion report, and the reason that we focused on the fashion industry was that our work over 60 years now with vulnerable people around the world, helping them to transform out of poverty, um, both through long-term projects but also uh, in humanitarian situations, disasters and so on, we've got to know very much um, what's that ecosystem uh, that really traps people in poverty. And there's so many things that, that does it. But one of them is how 
people get caught up in supply chains for uh, products for us in the more developed parts of the world that we don't necessarily understand. When we buy a cheap shirt or we get a bar of chocolate, you know, what went behind the production of all that? And uh, as, as Peter was talking about before, and the fashion industry is one of the largest with a history of um, a lot of exploitation to get people to the point where they can get that cheap that cheap T-shirt or whatever, um, you know, on the racks, uh, you know, in retail stores. So we really had an approach. Rather than try and bash companies over the head about the issue, let's collaborate. Let's understand what they know and what they don't know about their own supply chains and start working collaboratively with them about um, thinking about people in the in those supply chains and how they deserve a decent life. You know, we're not talking about creating great wealth here, but a decent life where people can work and live in dignity and feed themselves and house themselves and their families. Um, there's so many things that happen in, in the exploitation of workers in supply chains that we probably don't get to think about uh, when we get... Uh, you know, when we get whatever the product is, but particularly in the fashion industry. So so we've had a focus. Uh, it's also been building awareness for um, for the consumer, for the person that purchases that, to understand what may have happened in that process where people may or may not have been exploited inappropriately to provide that product. And so we've seen quite a significant shift in the attitudes of companies over the last several years through this process, but also a significant shift in consumer awareness. And, and you know, I think as Christians, we, we have to ask ourselves, you know, do we want to do something that perpetuates exploitation of others or be part of uh, the voice and the mobilisation to work with companies and say, no, we want you to treat uh, people in your supply chain fairly. We believe that's right. Peter Keegan, you know, I'm sure you're sitting there in your suit and tie this morning, even though the boss is just wearing his gardening clothes. Uh, but uh, oh, we, we can pretend together. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all a part of this, and none of us is separated from it, unless you make your own clothes at home. If you buy anything from the store, it's likely that your clothes have come from a factory somewhere in one of those nations that we mentioned. So we're all a part of this, and I know you guys uh, like to really make sure that you're not uh, beating consumers around the head because it's not, it's not our fault when we go shopping, when we find a bargain and we want to buy that. Uh, but we are all a part of the process, aren't we? That's absolutely right. Um, when we're buying products, we're buying products that, that have been sourced through these supply chains that have come, as, as John was talking about before, from people working in various parts of the world. Now, that's not necessarily a problem. And I think that's one of the things that we want to say is really important in this conversation. There's a lot of opportunity that comes for those workers, those 40 million people that I was talking about across the Asia-Pacific. Uh, this is their opportunity to have an income. This is their opportunity to support their families. And, and so that's one of the great benefits that this brings to so many people but it's also where some of the responsibilities come in and it's some of what we start to see at the moment in terms of how the coronavirus is impacting across those people. Uh, in countries like Bangladesh for example the people who are working in the garment industries very often have moved from rural areas from rural communities 
uh, into the larger cities to be able to work in the garment industry so that they've got a job and they've got an income and they can send money back to their families and extended families in the villages where they've come from. And so for those people working in the industry, uh, there's a great opportunity and there's an opportunity to support not just themselves but their broader family. It does mean, though, that when we see the disruption that we're seeing at the moment in terms of the impacts of coronavirus, that it's not just the workers, but their broader families that are affected as well. So some of what we're starting to hear at the moment, um, in fact, have been hearing over the last month or so, is that as the buying of, of the garments, of clothing across countries like Australia and across Europe and North America and other large uh, markets for, for the fashion industry, as that all slows down, we're seeing more and more factories closing and sending their workers away. And so that has an impact across those workers, but across their families and, and broader communities as well. Uh, and for many of those workers, it's an impact that hits them immediately. The way the industry very much works is that payment often comes at the end of the production cycle. So the companies in Australia that you're buying from are only often paying for, for the products that they're receiving at the very end of the process. So we're hearing stories from Bangladesh at the moment of, of workers who have not been paid their wages for March or April uh, because the factory owners themselves haven't necessarily received the payments from international brands. So I guess we're seeing at the same time both the opportunity that comes when the industry is working well and the challenges that come when things break down. And that's where we all have a responsibility to think about how do we engage with the, the products that we buy and the brands that we're buying from to encourage them to, to practice good behaviour and to work together collaboratively with all the people in their supply chains. John Hickey, let's just uh, skip into talking about these COVID fashion commitments that you've just released. Uh, this is very significant because uh, where do you start with this? I think uh, listeners to our conversation today will be very proud of Baptist World Aid for stepping in here and saying what are the rights and responsibilities and who's looking after the vulnerable when you talk about numbers like 40 million people in the fashion production industries around the world, in particularly in these developing nations. And as Peter says, that's 40 million, but they've all got a family too. So let's, uh, let's perhaps triple that. But COVID fashion commitments, what does this mean, Dave? Uh, what does this mean, John? Yes, well, I think the first thing we need to say is that uh, everybody is struggling. This is, this is a time when we think often about a, a disaster or a catastrophe, we can sit in Australia uh, and often look at those disasters, whether it be an earthquake or a, or a, um, you know, a, a huge drought that causes famine and this, and it's thousands of kilometres away. But just as we experienced with the bushfires a number of months ago and, and now with the threat of COVID, everybody feels vulnerable in some way. And, and with economic activity uh, just going through the floor, uh, you know, fashion companies are struggling to survive. Some aren't and won't survive out of this. So we're not trying to uh, bang a drum here without thinking about uh, all those players in the industry and consumers and so on and, and understanding everybody's going through a struggle right now. But, that, but there, is a rel there is a relativity here. Um, the most vulnerable, we still have to find ways to think about the most vulnerable and how to try and support them. So we've got a six-step um, 
fashion commitment that we're asking companies to talk about. And Peter can even elaborate on this because he and his team have been talking to a number of companies in the industry and I think encouragingly getting a lot of positive support around these concepts. So number one is uh, that we're seeking to have companies support workers' wages by actually honouring the supply commitments. So, you know, often it's a thing in business to delay payments, but that has a big domino effect in this situation. Uh, And if I can just make a side comment, you know, just like a lot of people working uh, in these parts of the world, if they don't get paid, they can't feed themselves and they can't feed their families. You know, many of my colleagues are talking about uh, potential uh, health and starvation issues being even bigger uh, impact than the actual uh, COVID-19 infection rate, at least in the short term. So there needs to be cash flow. Uh, Number two, identify and support those workers at greatest risk. So really look at at those people working who do need that support first. Three, this is a time to listen to the voices and the experience of workers. Um, You know, a lot of them can potentially collaborate in solutions here that could be helpful. Uh, Four is ensure workers' rights and safety are respected. So often under pressure, pressure, people will actually um, do the wrong thing more. We want want it to be the other way. People people that have power do the right thing here. Uh, And five, collaborate with others to protect vulnerable workers. Uh, so really uh, working in local economies uh, to, uh, to support and provide safety nets where possible. And then, and then, of course, as we come out the other side, build back better for work- workers in the world. So we will come out the other side. How do we prepare together? How, do, how does industry prepare to do that for these vulnerable people working with them? Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson, a biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Wonderful to have you along with us. The Thursday edition of 2020 into a meaty topic, one that is so, so important. As a Christian believer, you're obviously concerned about how the effects of COVID-19 are, in fact, uh, having major impact on even issues as to the fashion that we wear. And our two guests this hour, John Hickey, the CEO at Baptist World Aid, and Peter Keegan, the Director of Advocacy at Baptist World Aid, both on the line with us right now. Uh, John, let me just come to you here, because when we talk about consumers, uh, I mentioned just before the break the idea that our part in all of this may be, in fact, a easier and perhaps even pleasurable uh, part to play in how we look at the fashion that we buy. Uh, John, how do we see ourselves in the mix here and, and what might we do to, to support the issues of that 40 million people who are in the fashion production industries around the world? Well, I'm sure Scott Morrison and other politicians would say the same thing. If you can, uh, continue to purchase responsibly. You know, the economy needs to keep moving. <laughs> um, but in, in the case where the supply chain stretches back to parts of the world such as, uh, you know, that Asia-Pacific region as it does with the fashion industry. You know, the impact of being able to purchase, say, a, you know, an item of clothing uh, is, is potentially huge. It can be huge in terms of reinforcing uh, some inappropriate exploitation or it can be huge in terms of uh, giving uh, income to people who need it. Uh, 
that's one of the things that uh, is part of our reporting in this sector that we've been doing since 2013. With our annual ethical fashion report, we put out a shopping guide uh, and uh, people can go to our website, baptistworldaid.org.au, and you can order uh, a little pocket guide. Uh, it's even You can even use one of our apps and have it on your smartphone as well. So when you go shopping, you can see the ratings of the companies and the brands that uh, you like to engage with and see um, from our reporting how we, how we feel that they are um, uh, addressing the needs of workers in vulnerable places across, uh, across the world, and particularly in the Asia-Pacific region. So you can, you can buy responsibly and make those responsible decisions whilst you're um, buying your fashion items. Well, what an outstanding initiative that is. Uh, Peter Keegan, a pocket guide and an app you can download on your smartphone so that when you are shopping, I imagine, let's just uh, bring this into uh, maybe a scenario, uh, perhaps uh, one of the ladies listening to our conversation today uh, with the new freedoms they might have in some states this weekend uh, to go down to a clothing shop and, uh, and to flick through some of the dresses on a dress rack and they come across a brand on there. Is this where this app or this pocket guide actually comes in handy? It certainly is, because they can open up the guide, whether that's, that's a, the little booklet, if, if they have those already, or as, as John said, the app, or, or directly from our website. You can search for the company, for the brand that's sitting in front of you, the ones that you're, you're looking at and thinking about buying, and see how they've graded across a range of different things. So our normal survey that's feeding into that data includes everything that we've got here in the COVID fashion commitments and a whole lot more detail sitting behind that. Uh, so those simple ratings that give you a clear sense of where that brand that you're thinking about buying, uh, just how they perform relative to the rest of the industry and how much effort they're putting into standing with their workers uh, and supporting them to be able to live a life that's a life of dignity. So, so that's a really important thing that people can do. Um, I think the other thing that comes alongside that is, is the way that we can communicate with the brands themselves. So the COVID fashion commitments that we've launched this week, as well as using our guide to, to be something that informs the decisions that you make when you're out shopping and thinking about which products to buy, uh, you can also share the COVID fashion commitments there's a, there's a little infographic that's on our website and it's also on our Facebook and other social media. You can share that with the brands that you like to buy from and just tag them in it and ask them how they're doing. Ask them if they're committed to, to these initiatives in the way that they think about how they get the products that they ultimately sell to all of us. John, let me ask you, if you are doing this at the shops this weekend, and we'll get into the whole online shopping because that's uh, no doubt is an important aspect too and where your app and your pocket guide are going to be very helpful. But, but if you're in the shop and you discover that there is on the rack, there's a, a brand that isn't recommended uh, to buy on the pocket guide or app, just be, uh, I guess, imagine a little bit cautious here about uh, taking up some criticism and, uh, and aiming any thoughts at the shop assistant because they're probably not the people making the decisions. Oh, completely, Neil. That's right. Um, you know, people are working and, and trying to earn a, a decent wage or salary. And and I have to say, we don't make we don't make recommendations about pe what people should buy or not buy. We just give the grading, and um, and our detailed report gives the rationale behind the grading, so that. Uh, 
you know, then it's up to people to make their own their own decisions. Um, I, I think what's really important here, I just wanted to add to one of Peter's points. Um, if we had gone out and just tried to engage with the industry uh, as we did from 2013, uh, well, you know, what happened when we started? People, a lot of companies, big companies, are going, who's this Baptist World Aid mob? You know, what are they on about? They didn't necessarily know us from anybody else. Um, but we had a real strategy of informing and mobilising consumers. If a shopper actually says to a company, hey, I'm a little bit uncomfortable about your rating and, um, you know, uh, the, the lack of transparency in how you're dealing with vulnerable people in your supply chain, people listen, companies listen to consumers um, the most. So you've got to aim your you've got to aim your criticism or your concern to someone above the person who's the shop counter assistant. We're going to take a break because it's news time. Uh, John, let me come to you here for a very a very uh, particularly important aspect here. Uh, listeners can hear this is Baptist World Aid uh, taking this initiative here. Uh, give us uh, some insights here into a biblical spiritual motivation why we would be concerned about workers in other parts of the world and around the clothing we wear. Give us some insights here, John. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Neil. Well, uh, I my approach to... Uh the inspiration that I take from the Bible and from the teachings of Jesus is is often it comes down to simple simple things, simple parables, and the parable of the Good Samaritan is just core to this. It's about loving your neighbour, and our neighbour is local and our neighbour is global. And I think what was core core in the parable of the Good Samaritan was that it was, as you know, most of us know. Um, Samaritans and Jews didn't get on well with each other in those days. Uh, and that was really telling in Jesus' message that people would normally treat each other as uh, enemies. Uh, they actually came together and one helped the other. And I think that that applies in these days is that, yes, we do need to look at our neighbours that are right next to us and in our communities, but we need to look at vulnerable people around the world. They're our neighbours too in God's kingdom. And so, uh, you know, we are very motivated by that as the basis of all that we do around the world and certainly that decision that we made several years ago to really engage with the fashion industry and consumers. So, uh, you know, as I was saying just before the news, uh, the voice of the consumer and the action of the consumer spending money in the right ways makes a huge difference in the lives and the futures and the sustainability of those people, those 40 million plus people working in the supply chain of the fashion industry. And that's part, I think, of loving your neighbour. We're not saying to consumers, go out and spend heaps of money on clothes right now, but we are saying uh, if you are purchasing Purchase thoughtfully, uh, think about that, and uh, you know, through both prayer and your action, uh, you can make a positive difference. And also talking to the companies uh, and being a voice to encourage them to be ethical in how they operate here. I don't know, John. I think it sounds a little more like you're saying, uh, here's permission to go and buy that new pair of shoes uh, or <laughs> that outfit that you've always been looking for because right now your love... 
uh, in the Good Samaritan fashion is for that person who's hurting right now. And so uh, in actual fact, what a, a fabulous way to be able to respond in love is by actually utilising uh, this capacity that many of us have. Not everybody is uh, has lost their job, lost their hours or has a business bankrupt. Uh, still a lot of people with capacity to spend. So uh, that's not a bad way to express some love when we talk about fashion. Hey, we're taking I, calls. I, sorry, Dale, yep. I was just going to say I agree, and certainly my wife is living up to that, uh, <laughs> that uh, premise as well. Okay, we're taking calls on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 Join our talkback conversation today. What are your thoughts about what's going on around the world? Uh, the idea of spending money on ethical fashion, and we'll come back to that app and that pocket guide very shortly, but let's take a call. William is on the line in Queensland. Hi, William, welcome. G'day. What a brilliant, brilliant idea, an ethical app for fashion. I can't believe somebody's come up with this idea. It is brilliant. Um, I'd like to make a plug, too, for somebody later on if I'm allowed to. But the point is, um, this is fantastic because this is what we need to help those people in other countries that are actually getting abused beyond a shadow of a doubt. And the big companies are not actually responsible for it. They are misusing these people. We as Christians are actually enjoying their products, but we are also participating in the in the depravity, which is which is abuse of the of the people. And we need to be upfront about it as well. And I love this idea. This is fantastic. And um, if I'm allowed to put a plug in, yeah, for, give uh, it. Who's the who's uh, the plug? Give, give us the plug. Uh, we've, we've got um, a group in South Africa who's desperately needing um, help. They're called Bohr, um, uh, Menskip Transvaal. They're a, um, a small Christian group there that are trying to support the Anglo society in South Africa because they're not getting any food from the government at all. They're getting really abused as well there. They can be found on uh, South Africa's Suitlander Civil Crisis on Facebook if you need to get in contact with them. But this app is brilliant because they, the people in South Africa are actually part of the problem of the global system where the abuse is just phenomenal and we need this type of input from the people so that we can bring awareness of how what's going on in other countries that need desperate protection. William, I might get you to uh, send an email to our guests today at Baptist World Aid and uh, let them know the name of that company again. It wasn't as easy to pick that up and uh, a South African company, but this raises an interesting issue here. Uh, Peter, and if I come to you on this, uh, there'll be all sorts of companies who are saying, well, how do I get my, uh, my company name on the app? Because we're doing the right things. We're looking after our supply chain. And uh, there might be others who might be saying, I'm going to hide from that right now, but but for those who are doing the right thing, uh, how do they make sure that their brand is mentioned on your app? Yeah, great question, Neil, and and really encouraging to hear that feedback from from the caller just now. In terms of the companies that we include in the app, we we really have two approaches to how we uh, include companies in what we're doing, and and particularly in the work that we're doing at the moment around the COVID fashion commitments. So to start with, we're really committed to getting the biggest companies that have the largest impact, for good or for bad. So we try to include all of the fashion brands in Australia uh, that would qualify to come under the, the New South Wales Modern Slavery Act. So that's brands that have revenues of over 50 million a single year. Uh, we're trying to include all of those comprehensively in our coverage in, in the app and in other produce. 
so that there's that pressure and that attention on not just companies that are impacting the largest number of people in what they're doing. Uh, but we also want to be able to recognise those brands that may be smaller but have really made significant efforts and, and put uh, energy into trying to do things well and trying to think about how they can have can be brokers of a different relationship between us as the buyers of clothing and the people who are making it. And so uh, we, we have a number of companies that opt in to being part of this process and certainly happy to talk with others uh, who might be listening or who might be interested in, in understanding how they could fit into that. Fabulous stuff, and thank you so much to William. As I say, email the name of that company, and uh, it might be other companies listening to us today saying, well, uh, we're doing the right thing, uh, want to abide by these fashion commitments, and uh, perhaps uh, get your company name to Baptist World Aid and uh, see where they can uh, support you in that as well. Hey, let me just reflect for a moment. We've been having a poll on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Vision Radio, the Vision Radio Facebook page. There's a question there today that asks, are we and the shops that sell clothes to us responsible for the rights and safety of the workers that make them? And I've got to say 75% of responders so far are saying, yes, we are responsible for the rights and safety of workers that make them. 25% are disagreeing, but you might like to make your mark there and there's opportunity to leave a comment uh, on the comment section on that Facebook post. John, let me come to you because when we talk about having an app and we're talking about these commitments, there's a certain power that consumers have. And in having this app, what you are doing at Baptist World Aid is empowering the consumer to be able to do something useful and worthwhile so far as this fashion and the protection for vulnerable workers. Uh, give us some insights here into, into how this power works. And I guess it's, you know, one person doing it is one power. But uh, if you get a, a thousand or a ten thousand or a hundred thousand or a million people, you've got real power. Yes, Neil. Uh, well, we've, we find every year when we put out the report um, in the guide and updated the guide, uh, we get a huge spike uh, of people downloading, uh, downloading or requesting the shopping guide and so on. And the thing we know is it's not just uh, our Christian constituency, it's, it's really widespread in commu- uh, communities. So I think last year uh, our report had about 60,000 uh, uptake on the shopping guide, but many, many more people were logging into our website. People started downloading the app, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's one of those things that's become quite a strong community conversation each year. Um, and, and I, you know, that's fantastic. Uh, we want people to be aware, and we want people then to take the next step which is to say, all right, well, when I'm going out and shopping, that I'm going to make a decision that I think is fundamentally ethical in terms of treating people well, in the, the dealing with companies that treat people reasonably well in the supply chain. Uh, and the good news story is with consumers, that many consumers, and we want many more consumers engaging, companies have been changing their, their activities and their habits and their concern for people in the, the uh, supply chain over the last several years. There has been a shift uh, for Australian companies and international companies. So the power of the consumer and where they put their dollars is huge and cannot be underestimated about 
um, the difference that that makes. We're, we're really facilitating those links between the shopper, the company and those people in those vulnerable places in the world to try and uh, bring change together. Peter, if we, the consumer, take this seriously, then the people who are buying these clothing uh, brands or they're buying these clothing uh, from these companies in the developing world, uh, there's a message to everyone along the whole supply chain here that comes from the consumer because I imagine where you've got issues where there are companies that flout the idea of social distancing and proper hygiene while COVID-19 is ravaging the world. Uh, And as I understand it, when we talk about that sort of uh, exploitation uh, that we mentioned a little earlier, uh, even child labour and forced labour, I mean, the the message to those companies is that the consumer's not happy with that and there's a need to raise the standards there. So everybody on the whole supply chain gets a message. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, When we were talking before about some of the biblical basis for what we do here, the other image that comes to mind for me is the the image in the epistles of of us being the body of Christ and all the parts of the body linked. And when one hurts, other parts hurt, but the connection is is there uh, between all the parts of the body. And I think at the moment, as we confront the COVID-19 crisis, we're conscious of how connected we are. We're conscious of the way that a virus can be easily transmitted between us. But I think what things like our work around the Ethical Fashion Report and the Ethical Fashion Guide do is they give us a means to be able to transmit love, to be able to transmit concern back up through the supply chain. So we as consumers can make our own decisions to purchase well, uh, but we can also be saying to those companies, whether it's on social media, whether it's in polite and respectful ways when you're engaging with people in stores, uh, but saying to them, we as the people who buy your clothes, we're, we're concerned about where they come from. We want to be part of a system that is acknowledging the, the human dignity, the image of God that is in each person that sits right up and down that supply chain from, from those of us buying and wearing clothes right back to the very beginning to the people who are growing the cotton or, or other products that go into them. Each of those people is created in the image of God. And so this is a, an opportunity for us to look at one industry, one that we are so intimately involved in, in, in the fact of the clothes that we wear against our skin, um, but to look at one industry that has such an impact globally uh, and look at how we can use our influence with the dollars that we spend and with the ways that we use our, our voices you know, respectfully um, but consistently in saying that we, we want to see value applied to every person, no matter where they sit in that supply chain, and we want to see the brands that we buy from reflect that value in the way they do business and the way they bring products to us to be bought. It's a whole new dimension for many listeners today to think of their own personal stewardship as a Christian coming down to even the choice of the clothes that we wear and uh, the shirt on my back and on your backs too, uh, John and Peter, uh, the trousers, the underwear, uh, everything we're wearing is likely to have come from these sorts of factories uh, in the developing world and we have this wonderful stewardship to be able to apply even into the choices that we make when the brands are uh, on sale at the shops that we shop at. Uh, Let's just reflect here for a moment. Rachel on Facebook made a comment, said, absolutely, in response to the question today. Let me just uh, read the question so we've got a context here. The question we're asking today, are we and the shops that sell clothes to us 
responsible for the rights and safety of the workers that make them. Rachel says, absolutely, making careful choices about where we buy or clothes from us, the only way we can show companies that we want them to uphold the rights and dignity of workers. Uh, Rights and dignity of workers. This is at the heart of where you have fashion commitments are, John. And if we don't actually look to do something to protect the right and dignity of workers, whether they're in Australian or offshore, uh, we're actually failing, aren't we? That's right. And and in this time of this pandemic, it's actually not just about rights and dignity, it's about life. Um, if people cannot uh, have an income and a livelihood, just imagine all the things that break down from that. Uh, you know, we talked about this earlier, the ability to feed yourselves and your family. Uh, the, vul- the level of vulnerability just becomes worse and worse and worse. So this is a time of real crisis and need and urgency for us, I think, as, as a body of Christ together to think and act um, for the sake of, you know, uh, you know, what Jesus called the least, least of these. We have to think about these people that they are they are part of the kingdom of God, and how do we help them in such a difficult time, let alone, um, you know, let's call it the normal difficulties uh, that they that would exist in the supply chain. Powerful when you think about the way that Christian believers have been so concerned about issues around the safety and well-being of refugees. Now, that's very tangible, and that's really very small numbers compared to what we're talking about today. But these hidden impacts when you actually effectively and discerningly use your shopping dollars to put them into a place where there is a a brand that is looking after its workers. You're actually addressing whole issues of potential starvation, of the rising poverty of families in those communities. So from this stewardship sort of angle, uh, Peter, this is one area here we just can't ignore. This is so important. Uh, I'm going to give that app address in just a few moments, but, but this is how you can make a real difference today just by being discerning about your shopping. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a really important part of, of how you can make a difference. And I think um, we want to acknowledge it's not the only way. And so our response as, as Baptist World Aid covers a range of different areas. So this is an important part of the work that we're doing with the fashion industry and the apps and the other ways that you can engage with that. You touched on a few issues there that I think we're, we're also looking at how we tackle best in a broader way. So the issues of refugees, for example, where we, we know in many of the places where our local Christian partners work, whether that be in refugee settlements in Lebanon with, with large numbers of Syrian refugees or in parts of Bangladesh where we see Rohingya refugees or in northern Uganda with those coming down from South Sudan, uh, we work with many partners who are in contexts working with refugee communities or working with other really vulnerable communities. And in those contexts, we're really conscious of, of the important role that we all have to stand together. Um, I mentioned right at the top of this interview the fact that we are all, none of us escapes the impacts of COVID-19, uh, but we're not all equally ready and not all equally in a position where we're able to withstand those impacts. So when you think about the environment that people live in in many of these contexts, whether it's in refugee camps, uh, whether it's in urban settlements, whether it's in rural communities across the world, 
there are both immediate health implications and health risks that we're all very familiar with, but there's also just a really significant level of vulnerability to be thrown back into, into poverty that people may have just started to affect. So we're seeing reports of, of hundreds of millions of people being at risk of starvation because of the lockdown things that are in place and the fact that they live in environments where they're very much reliant on their daily work and life and to put food on the table for their families. So our whole response includes all of this work that we've been talking about as a really important component around the work with the fashion industry, um, but also broader work uh, with our local Christian partners, which, which we'd certainly invite listeners to support us or others who are involved in those ways. Let's talk about uh, supporting Baptist World Aid here because, as listeners can hear, you guys are doing an absolutely incredible, amazing job. And, uh, you know, we're all just thrilled uh, that you're on top of these issues. Undoubtedly, you've got your own needs. In fact, I think, John, you've got a COVID global emergency appeal that's running at the present time. And uh, when people go to the website, baptistworldaid.org.au, no doubt there'll be an opportunity for people to support you while they're downloading this wonderful app that you've got. Uh, but uh, just give us, uh, running short of time, but a uh, short uh, insight here, the Global uh, Emergency Appeal, uh, what's happening with that? Thanks, Neil. We, we have uh, well over 40 uh, local partnerships around the world. We work in, um, uh, well, at different times, between 20 to 25 countries across Africa, South Asia, Southeast Asia, the Middle East and, and the Pacific. Uh, really trying to facilitate people lifting out of poverty. And we also respond in major global humanitarian situations, big disasters. Uh, And we do advocacy. So we we also take the global leadership in the Baptist movement to try and mobilise the Baptist movement. But we work right across uh, all different denominations collaboratively and we... And our goal is to work with all vulnerable people. It doesn't matter what their race, creed, religion is to, to help them. And, and just to demonstrate that, you know, God is love through what, what we do. So in this time, we're pivoting everybody into a, an absolute focus on how to limit the damage of what COVID is doing and will do on a large scale in the most vulnerable parts of the world. Uh, and so, uh, we, we're looking for uh, people to support us to do that. Uh, and uh, so that's what uh, the COVID-19 Global Emergency Appeal is about. Right now, it's about providing money and food packs. It's about hygiene. It's about education. And it's going to evolve further into other relief work, medical work, and so on as the, this takes hold. So. It's a huge, complex area we'll be, we'll be spending lots of energy on in the months and beyond the next year to help people. Well, I'll encourage listeners, uh, you're thinking of buying that new outfit and you're thinking of buying those new shoes, uh, spare a few dollars too uh, to support what's happening with Baptist World AIDS, their COVID global emergency appeal. You'll be able to find out, no doubt, some more details when you go to the baptistworldaid.org.au website. And that'll be the place too. You'll find a link to download the app or to get a hold of 
the pocket guide uh, so that you can be armed and ready uh, to do good things as you steward those uh, provisions that God has given you and uh, and the encouragement, hey, time to go shopping, but shop in a determined and ethical way and you can download that app at baptistworldaid.org.au. John Hickey and Peter Keegan, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. We really appreciate your care and concern, Neil. Thank you. And uh, thanks so much, Peter. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.